We ended last time um, with blessed are the meek and uh, I believe we finished the thought on blessed are the meek. So I'm just going to begin with verse 6 and we'll just get started I think tonight. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. Um, and here before we even begin to talk about this we need to remember two things and that the first is that the Bible talks about two different kinds of righteousness and we need to remember the audience. So who is Jesus talking to and who does remember that from last time? Believers, that's right. Jesus is talking to uh, Jews who have become believers in him. Many are his disciples and I don't know exactly how large the group was if it was 12 or 120 or 520, I don't know, but they're believers. Um, and therefore, hungering and thirsting for righteousness here, um, especially in context of all the Beatitudes, um, cannot be the righteousness that is by faith. That is how we come to faith. They're already believers. That's who the audience is. So who are those who hunger and thirst for what kinds of righteousness? It must be the other kind of righteousness, the one that we usually don't talk about very much, which is the righteous life. That is my life of good works and good deeds. How do I show my faith in response to what Christ has done for me? Um, and, and so uh, this is, um, how can I put this? It's not the path of eternal life. It's rather the way we walk the path of eternal life. Um, let's go to the next slide here. I have this from Luther. That man is righteous and blessed who continually works and strives with all his might to promote the general welfare and the proper behavior of everyone and who helps to maintain and support this by word and deed, by precept, another word for a law, and example. So this is someone who hungers and thirsts for the righteous life. Um, how would you uh, work and strive for uh, righteousness um, with your words, for example? You might encourage. You might also correct, right? That's, um, um, I remember overhearing once uh, at a college, uh, not one of our Wells College, it was the University of Wisconsin-Madison, as a matter of fact. I could even tell you what dorm I was standing in. I was visiting a friend, and I heard, and, and I, and I heard uh, my friend's roommate say to somebody else, I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't use the name of my Lord that way. Thought, wow, that is, that is, I'm, I'm impressed to hear that, especially at a public university like this. That was back in the in the 1980s that I heard that. Stayed with me all this time. Um, remarkable, but correction with words. What about with uh, the the second one at the bottom? There is deeds. How might you maintain and support righteousness with your deeds? Sure, by setting an example, although example is the last one also. 
So that, although that is excellent, that is one of the ways we would do it. Another deed might be guiding someone with what you do. Um, I'm thinking of, uh, uh, um, although a lot of these end up as being examples, um, but you might also, uh, for example, get between people who are fighting, you know, and just strive for a righteous way of life by stopping an argument or something like that. Um, and by, you know, correcting a child. My mother, I'm, maybe I've made her famous by saying this too often, but my mother could spank you through a screen door. It's pretty impressive. Uh, she was pretty good at it too, um, and at least what I was concerned. Um, and so that was certainly correction. What about by precept, which is kind of a homespun law? Well, precepts are rules, right? And if these are the rules of the house? Um, I met someone today who told me that they were actually expelled from DMLC for coming in too late after curfew. They were supposed to be there by midnight, and they got back to, to, the, to the dorm at 1.30, and the whole batch of them got expelled uh, that year. There were like five or six girls that got expelled. And this is like 40 years ago. So this was after Laura's time. And uh, yeah, nothing good happens after midnight. Uh, exactly. Um, um, in fact, I, I happen to know about that incident that there was a complaint from some parents that the pastor's and professor's daughters got to go back to the college later. And they were like, oh, that's double-sided. Well, I said, well, did your parents you know, intercede for you to, 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 to apologize and re-enroll? Oh, no. Well, <laughs> that's why they got back into the school. They apologized and they re-enrolled a year later. You know, and, and the, the college isn't going to beat down your door to come back. Um, you know, but if you reapply, um, you know, they, they do allow those things. And so that was a little bit of a double standard. Um, and then, but a house might have its rules too, right? If you've done your chores, you get to do whatever. Or if you don't do your chores, you don't get to do, you know, what have you. Um, sometimes it takes a parent with a pretty strong will to enforce those things. Some of us don't have that strong of a will with our kids. And, you know, are we great parents or are we just okay parents? I don't know. But, you know, we, we all try our best and we all ask for God's forgiveness and help, Right? It's not that easy to be a parent. Um, Soren, you will find that out soon enough um, when you find Deidre, the girl of your dreams, and get married and have a family of your own. And no, I'm not a prophet. I just made that up, by the way. That's the, that's the girl's name I use in catechism for everybody's wife. And every girl is going to marry a guy named Dirk. You know, Dirk. Yeah, Dirk and Deidre. Which name don't you like? Oh, okay. Well, go down that road a different time then. That's fine with me. Um, <clears throat> just a question about hungering and thirsting. What, what would a person dying of hunger and thirst do for a drink of water? Jameis? What? Writhe. 
writhe and squirm. I, here's my example. Let's, let's mentally take ourselves to the southwest coast of España, Spain, to the coast of Ferrol, 300 miles from Andalusia. And there on the coast of, south, of southwestern Spain in Ferrol, there is an ancient prison with stone walls and iron rusting bars and bats and uh, uh, vultures outside the windows squirming to get in through the bars because you're in there. That's what that jail is like, okay? It's open to the elements. You freeze in the winter and you bake in the summer. And out, just outside of the, of, of the reach of your hand in the bars... Through the, through the bars of your, of, your, of your cell, is a stalactite in the ceiling that is dripping water just out of the reach of your fingertip. What would you do for a drink of that water? <laughs> what did you say? Cut off your arm and then do what? Throw it at the water? <laughs> it's just... I'm, might you not tear off part of your shirt and wrap the cloth around your foot because your leg goes farther than your arm? Allow your foot rag to get wet and then bring it back in and, and wring the water into your mouth or something like that. You might come up with something a little less deadly than cutting off your own arm or something along those lines. That was a fascinating one. Anything. You would do anything. Right, right. Would you would you fight a rat for a half of a half of a of a of a, of a roll of bread? You might. Oh, you might eat the rat. When when my cat stole half of my dinner roll the other night, I didn't fight him for it. I just said I don't care. I let him have it. You pay attention in this class. I was not necessarily hoping that would be what you would get out of the class, but. Can we, it's a true story. Can we think of an example of Jesus hungering for righteousness? Yeah, I, I want you to have faith, but you don't, sure. Yeah, it's the, those are the last words before he speaks of the crucifixion. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. I was thinking also of like the woman caught in adultery. He wants her to be righteousness there and he tells all the men, let the first who is without sin um, cast the, or any of you without sin be the first to cast a stone and so forth. There are many other examples probably. Let's go on to verse 7. Blessed are the merciful because they will receive mercy. Now at this point, the, um, these beatitudes shift gears from how God blesses us to how we show that we've been blessed. So now we're showing mercy. Okay? Um, uh, and although hungering and thirsting for righteousness was maybe also a transitional um, like this as well, but with regard to mercy... Um, we show mercy in different ways. We can show mercy. My first example was the Good Samaritan, um, 
Who can tell me briefly the story of the Good Samaritan in about two sentences? Bless you. Oh, no, let me tell you my, because I got in trouble for it. Do you mind? I don't expect Jameis to remember them, but does anybody else here remember the Teletubbies? Jameis's class, uh, actually, I can no longer use them as an example because the seventh graders don't remember the Teletubbies. But back in the, in the, in the early 2000s, they were really popular. And really, they're from the 1990s, but in the 2000s. And if you don't know anything about them, they were little stuffed critters on a, on a British TV show, about, just a children's show, just a nonsense show about counting to four. And st- basics, you know, that, that's the age group we're talking about. You know, and what does a vacuum cleaner do? And what is, what is it like to take turns? It's that kind of stuff, preschool stuff, right? Well, there was, an, and, and in concept, these little stuffed critters, each one like a little person, had like kind of a, uh, like a, I would call it a onesie, right? Because their hands and feet were on the same piece of cloth and they had kind of a hood over their face and they only, only could see their face, really. Otherwise, everything was covered. But in the middle of their, of their belly or their tummy was a little TV set. And then they all had an antenna sticking up out of their head. That was the concept. And it was just like, oh, then each one could show a video. And then they would. They would every once in a while, there'd be like this special segment. And, oh, who gets to show the video segment today of a real preschool class or whatever? That was it. But there was a little red one. And there was a yellow one and a green one and a purple one. And after a couple of years, people began to say, oh, the purple one must be gay. Yeah. And that got to be, and that, I mean, the show was basically over already when that happened. And I think Teletubbies might even still be on sometimes, but it was just about done with. They weren't making any new ones. And I have, uh, my wife's cousin lives on the road where they filmed that show in Stratford-on-Avon in England, the, the giant bunny rabbits are still there. They were, they, were, they, were, they were bred to be enormous so that on the show, the tubbies, who were big, huge people inside of costumes, would look small, you know, and then the rabbits would look normal size, although they were like three feet long in, in reality, which is a frightening size for a bunny, in my opinion. Um, if you've ever seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail, I'm not going to finish that sentence. Um, <laughs> But with that, with that purple one being accused of this, and it's, it's a children's show, but what I did one, one year early in my time in St. Paul's was I used the four Teletubbies because we had them, the stuffed little critters. I used them to retell the Good Samaritan in the children's devotion. So the red one was the guy who got beat up, of course, beat to a red pulp, right? And then the yellow and green one were the priest and the Pharisee or the Levite who walk by and don't help. And then the purple one that some of the adults in my congregation would think is the gay one, he's the Samaritan who actually helped, right? Not to promote homosexuality, but the fact that in Jesus' time, what were the Samaritans? They were the gross people that you didn't have anything to do with. They were, you know, let's not even talk about the Samaritans. And so I I did this. And what happened was uh, a a retired gentleman who often disagreed with, I'll just say, my preaching and illustrations um, and who made my my wife cry more than once 
including our first day at St. Paul's. He made my wife cry. It wasn't Herb, okay? Uh, <laughs> but uh, he... He, he, he came after me and said, you, you shouldn't do that because that's, that's the one that's gay and everybody knows that and, and that's not how we should act. And I said, isn't that the point of the parable? That this individual that everybody says that's not what we should be like, he's the only one who helps. And it's a, because that parable is a preaching of the law. And what should I have done? And then this other guy does it and I should have done it. That, that's really the point, and um, he didn't talk to me very much after that, but occasionally he would scold me about things. He criticized me for preaching a gospel text once because it was, in his words, an obscure text. But go ahead, Mark. Of course, yeah. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Right. God is thankfully unjust with us because what we deserve is eternal punishment, but he is merciful. True mercy is patient. Where there is still hope for change, there is room for patience. Um, patience is hard to learn. When I was um, teaching uh, public school catechism one year, we had, and it wouldn't have mattered if it was St. Paul's or public school, but it happened to be here um, over here at, at, the, at the church. Um, for one thing, public school confirmation class is hard to teach um, because, and I was a public school kid, I remember, you had this long day at school and then you hurry up and eat something unless you had practice and then you don't. And then in my case, we had to drive 20 minutes to get to church and we had to pick up various kids to take with us to go to church. But my, my dad and Mom were always the, the chauffeurs for catechism class. And we drove the 20 miles to where my church was, and then we would have catechism class. And you would be hungry and tired and a little bit squirmy, and you hadn't had any you know, decompression time that day. And we get that with our kids because they come, they have practice. Some of the kids even sometimes come from hockey practice stinking because they haven't had even time to shower and they're still in their hockey practice uniform and they have this gigantic bag of, of all their hockey stuff. Nobody liked that the last two years, but we used to all the time. Um, I got to give away more old Jesus Cares Christmas 1999-2004 free t-shirts because of that. There's, there was one kid who had a free t-shirt almost every night. And, but because we have hundreds with, that are out of date, what are you going to do with them? Anybody want a Jesus Cares 2006 t-shirt? Not many, right? But uh, yeah, and, but maybe I'll get you one, Jameis. We probably still have one. Um, and I'm sure it has like a, a, a lovely uh, a yellow butterfly on it or something like that that you would just love. And, uh, but I would give them, and this one kid, I, I, I later saw him um, when he was in high school and he, was, he, he, he lifted up his sweater and he said, look, pastor, I still have the Jesus Cares shirts that he would wear underneath his clothes, you know, because... Um, and, uh, but one year I was str really struggling with, with 
classroom discipline, which is just the downfall of a lot of teachers. Um, more, I've known more teachers who retired because of it, because classroom discipline is so hard. That's why my wife stopped teaching full time. She was a high school advanced like algebra, um, uh, uh, trigonometry, and um, uh, calculus teacher. You know, she was the high school teacher that had all the upper the the small classes. You know, math classes, and then she also what coached soccer and something else. Anyway, she and finally though, even with a small class, she struggled with discipline with classroom discipline, even with kids as old as, you know, 11th, 12th grade, um, because it can be a challenge sometimes. And uh, for for me to get help, I'm almost glad he's not here tonight. He would embarrass him. But I called in Jeff Kepsel. You all know Jeff from this class. He came in and sat two or three weeks in a row and observed me teaching that class, which we at that time taught in the library. Um, and, uh, and how am I handling classroom discipline? And I'll never forget that the, the first night ended and the kids went home and I was expecting some kind of wise feedback and he just kind of threw up his hands and said, how are you so patient with these kids? You know, and I thought I wasn't being patient with the kids, but it can be, but, but where there's still hope for change, there's still room for patience. Um, and we do hope for change. Um, but on the other side of that, false, I don't know what, sanctity um, is often quickly angered and is often pitiless and merciless. If, if things don't go for, a, for, some, for the, the, the right way that some people want them to go, they often fly into a rage. They are not patient at all. Um, it can happen very quickly. Um, and Jesus is encouraging us to be patient and merciful. Go ahead, Mark. It is. And, 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 and in some cases, there's a personality that just has to have things their way. And if, if they can do that and be patient, for example, if they can do that and explain why their way is a good way, then that's at least being you know, sociable, I guess. Um, but if, if you fly into a rage over it, um, then there are other issues. Yeah. Um, in true mercy is patient. It's just, it's good motivation, it's good, excuse me, it's a good reminder that our main motivation for, you know, anyone who works in a school or with kids, mm -hmm. it should be, you know, should be gospel motivation. That right. Yeah. easy to discipline out of anger. Just, I am angry and here comes the law and that's what I'm going to use to turn mm -hmm. around. But true mercy is patience. So yeah. the law is there. You know, the gospel is where you get your patience from to really yeah. keep working with these people. And yeah, I like the way you said that, that the gospel is our true motivation for the way we work with people. There, we have a number of, of, uh, of people, and not just at this congregation, but other places where I've served, where um, there, are, there are those who have maybe been lifelong Christians, and you just can't get them into church. Um, and they've, they've, they've been members their whole lives, and they just don't want to come. And I've known some of them, 
Um, some of them, in some cases, have agoraphobia. Anybody know what that is? It's a fear of crowds. So it, it can be an overwhelming fear. And uh, I try to encourage those folks to come on Mondays. Because Mondays, we have... Do you remember, Joanne, how many we often have on Monday nights? 29. <laughs> yeah. You know, on a good night. <laughs> we, we sometimes have peaked at 40. But uh, very typically, though, our Monday night crowd is about what my biggest crowd would have been with when I was a missionary, which is in the middle 20s. I had 26 once. when I was a, That was on a Palm Sunday when I was a missionary. Never had that many ever again. Um, but uh, uh, the thing about a crowd that small is that somebody can kind of go up into the balcony and be completely alone. Just you and the organist. You can sit on the other side if you want to. You know, or sit in the back. You know, or, or, or come over and sit on the side in the comfy chairs. Nobody else is there. You know, so there's a, there's a way of, of coming in when you're afraid that lots of... And some people are afraid that people will be judgmental. Well, I haven't been there in 20 years, Pastor. If I come in today, they'll all stare at me. Well, who's they? They don't know who you are. If you haven't been here in 20 years, you know. And... Uh, or, 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 or if it's, well, my husband comes and I, I never come and I'll feel bad because they'll wonder, you know, why I'm finally, well, they'll think he's your, you're his sister. You know, they, they want, they're not going to know who you are. Go ahead. Right, there is no they. Yeah. Don't project your feelings about other people to assume that they will feel the same way about you. Yeah. Anybody think of a time when Jesus showed mercy, especially? Or can anyone, in the, I was going to say, can anybody here not think of a time when Jesus showed mercy? Because I was, like every single healing miracle, all of the, both of the feeding miracles, the resurrection, um, I mean, the, the, the three people he raised from the dead and the, Things spoken to people who were repentant and grieving, and yeah. And he was praying. Or sure, even when he was praying. Uh, speaking to the prophets. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's he's having spikes driven through his hands, and what does he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that, that there's an interesting. Question there, is he talking about the guys who are pounding the nails? Or is he talking about the entire race, the whole human race? They don't know what they're doing. I think it extends out to more than just the guy whose hand is holding the hammer. With respect to Mel Gibson, who held the hammer in that scene in the, in the Passion of the Christ. Um, that was his one appearance in that movie, was he drove the nails in. Herb, you had your hand up for a second. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. But for some, that's how you have to show mercy. As my, as my childhood pastor would say, sometimes you have to say it by throwing them over your knee and saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. you know. I think I heard that about one sermon a month for the first 12 years of my life. I heard that illustration a lot. Never heard my mother say it through a screen door, though. 
I adore my mother. I'm looking forward to seeing her in heaven. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.